0: Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. Hello Otterites, this is episode 191. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Alright gentlemen, it is Hoopajoo! Hoopajoo Hooray! Hoopajoo Week. And we just did one of these a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, You know, so it seems a little quick to have another one, but two jubes in a row, we are returning to writing. Okay. Uh, all of us are deeply involved in the act and the craft of writing and it's something that uh, the more we do uh, personally anyways the more that I work on it the more I come to appreciate the the masters and for me one of those masters is the guy that I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. and the reason I say this is because as you start to write yourself and you know and if we're all of us are the same way if we're going to do something. We want to do it well. Yes, yes. So it means we're going to learn good ways to write and bad ways, and when to avoid them, and you know what the rules are, mm-hmm. and when you should break them and when you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And because of this, and we we each like to learn our own way. And we kid. all, learn, yeah, we each learn our own way. Most definitely. I mean that, that is one of those things where it's like uh, you can't teach me. I got to learn. Well, as Kirk said, we learn by doing. Ultimately. That is the only way to truly learn. And one of the things that uh, this whole endeavor has done for me is that it's practically ruined casual reading for me.
1: (laughs) There's truth to that, yes.
0: Because a lot of the casual reading that I do is, uh, you know, indie authors that I can get a a download from uh, Kindle Unlimited, so I don't have to pay for it, because I pay one, one price a month, and I can read unlimited books that are on Kindle Unlimited. It's not all books on Kindle, but just these certain ones. <clears throat>
2: and,
0: but, you know, being independent authors, I do like to support them. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great thing. But I'm also discovering, and I can see where these guys are like, like, oh, you really shouldn't do it this way. I would have written it differently. But what's worse is going back and reading authors published by... You know the the a real traditional publishing house, and seeing things like, dude, who's your editor? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh I mean, not just for consistency's sake, but for writing. Yeah, so many rules are broken: head hopping, uh, info dumps, things that you know almost every teacher of writing will tell you don't do. And so, it's just interesting. So that's why I, I. when I go back to one of the classics, the the, uh, the guys that really write well, I, I enjoy them more now.
1: I'm not so certain that writing itself hasn't come a long way, baby, since the digital age, since we can now work off word processors and things mm-hmm. like that uh, with computers. I think so much since when it was all done before it was either typewriter or longhand, you just didn't you didn't mess with much of that because it's just too onerous. So, that well, but just, that's
0: not entirely true because look at the books that were written in the nineteenth century. Yeah, they're full of info dumps and on the nose writing, which is that you know basically detailing every movement and action and what happened. Well, absolutely. That's
1: uh, that's another piece to this is that has all changed. Yes, and that's and expectations know, of the readers have changed. That's correct. And when you know blame Hemingway for a lot of that because he uh, when he began his clipped prose and his minimalist writings and he's probably the biggest one of those but everybody started writing differently after him and yes it's
0: a great story about his minimalist writing yeah somebody once said it's impossible to do a story in six words mm-hmm. so Hemingway sent back uh baby carriage for sale never used
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's a story that's a story that's a right story right exactly so yes that but you know part of that uh, that that style uh, even though it's 50 years removed from it uh, yeah. that that short short scenes short quick reads that's partially because of uh, the internet and you know the phones we carry that's right it, and everything else
1: it, it the, took that and made it permanent
0: yes exactly
1: yeah because yeah, we, we, we won't, I don't think yes. we will ever switch away from that television
0: and television has it, a lot to yeah the, yeah. the, the, the Quick, 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 quick. Forty-two minute story. Yeah, yeah or twenty-one gonna... if you're watching a half-hour show. That's right, right? Yeah, uh, so cemented
2: it cemented Hemingway's legacy, right, in, yeah. in, in our minds. Yes,
0: inadvertently, but yes, uh, very much so. But even so, most writers who are writing short or you know pu- being able to publish whatever they want because they can now, which right. I I am perfectly willing to take all of the crap for that kind of freedom. I think that is a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. More people should publish because they can, mm-hmm. because it, it, op- it opens the floodgates to finding those who are good at it, that you know maybe can't get a, a traditional book deal because of the type of stuff they write. True. Yeah. In, or yeah, because I mean, it's just bad yeah. timing for it what they want to write. pushes down the, the uh, barriers, yes. Exactly. And I, I think that's a fantastic thing. Uh, Although I'm not going to talk about any of those as far as my... The Gatekeepers. uh, Yeah. Getting past the Gatekeepers is hard, especially with fewer number of publishers nowadays.
2: Yes. It lets you get around
0: the Gatekeepers. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we're going to talk about uh, basically contemporary authors, which we kind of defined as people who are writing within our adulthood, give or take a little... Um, Yeah, give or take. um, And fiction. And fiction. We're we're focusing on fiction here.
2: We we have a lot of nonfiction writers we appreciate.
0: Yes. But, uh, you know... I honestly I think I, I like the fiction aspect of it because that's where the worlds are created. And that's what I love. And that's what most people prefer to read. Exactly. And exactly. That's, that's where the,
1: the fiction market dwarfs the nonfictions like, yeah. you know, multiple times. It's yes. just, that's just what it's people just, want. Uh, yeah. I mean,
2: I, I wish people would grab nonfiction a little more because truth is stranger than fiction many times. It is. I mean, it's, there's, there's stuff in history that's crazier than any uh, Stephen King novel.
1: You know, yeah. Uh, so, well, yeah, I mean, that, that when the, my first book was based on that idea that those three days in Moscow in 1991, a heck of a lot of things happened that most of us don't realize. Yeah, I mean, holy crap. Well, if it take, had just gone differently, or yeah. could it have gone differently, things would have been very different. You know, it changed the world in three days. Well,
0: just take some of the big historical events. You know, take a look at Hitler and the Holocaust. If somebody, if that had never happened, and somebody wrote that as a story, they probably couldn't publish it. It's like that is too outlandish. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it, we would never publish that. That's no, crazy.
2: No, no way that some corporal would take over and and exterminate kill, 13 million it, people. Yeah, yeah, kill 11 million people, or and all this. It's like
0: it's yeah. just
2: some corporal from Austria. Come on. Yeah,
0: it's. But, on the other hand, you know, like you said, truth or stranger in fiction, because fiction has to make sense. So, anyways, um, uh, well, it's yes, true. Yeah, our real world doesn't always have to make sense. Exactly. So, um, you know, the, story, the episode's titled Stephen King and Contemporary Authors. So, uh, King, obviously, is the guy that I'm going to. Uh, he is probably the, uh, the most consistent author I have ever read. I've read nearly all of his books and short stories, uh, there's a few that just haven't gotten around to yet. Uh, he's so damn prolific, too. But you know what? Yeah. There are a lot of people who have written a lot more books than he has.
1: I suppose. No, seriously. You, no, I don't, yeah, doubt, I, you.
0: I don't I, doubt you. I don't doubt you. Nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. Uh, one of the guys that uh, I, uh, I use as an online mentor with his training is Jerry Jenkins. He's written almost 200 books. Yeah, some of those lot. are fiction, and some of those are non-fiction, but most of them are fiction. Now, King is only... He's, done under 100. He's done like 70 books or something like that. I'd have to, really? to, to Google it to see. But he he generally uh, I'm pretty sure he's not broken 70 or 80 at most. Uh, which is a lot don't get me wrong because that's yeah. more than a book a year. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways but <clears throat> the reason that, that I picked King and I've talked about this before I know is because I've read just about everything he's written and As he's written. So my adulthood coincides with almost all of his career. Yeah, his publishing career, yes. So, you know, I don't remember the first... No, I do remember the first book I read of his was Salem's Lot which is, I think, his second book. Second or third, maybe? Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, Carrie
1: was first. Yes, Carrie was first. And uh, I
0: think Salem was third. I thought there was one in before that, but
1: don't quote me on that. It yeah, if, it's, if there's one
0: third. before that, I'm not sure what it is. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure Dead Zone is, is after Salem's Lot. It is, um, yeah. Uh, and um, The Shining, I think, is after Salem's Lot as well. Uh-huh. Now, yeah, that might be colored by the order the movies were done in. I don't know. but Because right. uh, pretty then, much every one of his books has been done. The, Salem's Lot was what published what, was, what 74, 75? I don't remember. It's it's in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's
1: and, why I think it, it might be. And it was adapted 70s. fairly quickly into that uh, TV NBC TV miniseries. Yes. Uh, uh, David Soul. Right, absolutely. Yes. Uh, he was in that 78, uh, 79 maybe.
0: Yeah, well, something like that. Don't quote me on that one. And picks, that might be the reason I picked up the book to mm, be perfectly honest. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so from the late late 70s on, I've been reading. So that's only like 5 or 6 years into his novel publishing career. So I've read nearly... As a matter of fact, I have yet to pick up Carrie and read it. For whatever reason, I just really? have not gotten around to it. Wow, well, his very first. His yeah. very first, yes. So the reason that I, I love reading his books is because, one, he's so creative, but two, I have watched his evolution as an author and how he has gotten better at the craft of writing. And that's amazing. And that's if if you're a reader a heavy reader and you you see that somebody can be successful long enough for them to grow at it you can see that that's a joy that really is because you know it makes you appreciate um where he where he is like if you pick a book now that he's written and you were then to go back and pick up Salem's Lot or Carrie or one of the other very early ones you'll think oh my god how can these be the same authors it's like well I see that they're the same authors because I've seen all the stuff in between. And, you know, he's done just about every genre that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not just done horror. He's done fantasy. He's done science fiction. Uh, usually, all although the fantasy didn't really have a horror slant so much. Yeah. Uh, but most of them have some aspect of that, that well, supernatural he, or that, he's that monster it. kind of and thing. And I know
1: in on writing he talks a little bit about that. He discovered, A, he's good at it. Mm-hmm.
0: It comes naturally to him, yes. which has a lot to do with it. And the damn thing sells. Yes. And he was well, like Frank Herbert, you know. Why yes. do you keep writing all those Dune books? Because they, they keep paying me. That's exactly right. It's, it's exactly he, he knows he's always, of course, by now he's
1: Stephen King. He can do what he wants and has. He's yes. drifted off into a couple of others. He's done some noir crime books in recent days yes. and uh, some some uh, police procedurals and just uh, whatever he wants to do. I mean, he can do it, and he's guaranteed to sell just because it's got his name on it. And some of it has been pretty good. I mean, I don't know that he's ever had anything that's bad. Well, movies is another question. Yeah, movies so, is to-
0: totally other thing. Yeah, because most of those are bad, from what I understand. Uh, there have been a few very good ones, uh, that there, but there have also been some real real stinkers. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I'd say just about everything he's written has been very good. Uh, I mean, I've always cared for the story as much. Uh, there's been a few times where he's uh, inserted his political views, which I'm not a real fan of because you're automatically alienating part of your readership. Yeah. in polarized right. world, You yep. should know that. But sometimes, you know, they can't help it. And it's one thing to say, oh, I can see where he's coming from because he has a particular political view. As opposed to directly injecting the politics. I don't right. care if I can see where you're coming from politically or philosophically. That's fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just don't want to be preached at in my entertainment.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah, you know, if you're subtle about it and you're making a point that makes me think, then yes, that's much better. That's different. Well, yeah, that's the, the, yeah.
1: It's the in-your-face part that nobody. Yes, one, no it's the
0: wants. you're wrong and I'm right and you should change because of this or yeah. whatever. You know, that's the kind of stuff I don't really care for. And He rarely gets into that. But you do see it on occasion. Probably with all authors, you're going to see that. And you know, most authors, you're going to see what worldview dominates their books, whether it's theirs or not, but although usually it's going to be. Uh, but for the most part, his worldview is just the world is scary and spectacular. And I'm going to show you all of that in one way or another.
2: <clears throat> and, so, yeah, that's, that's a, neat, a neat way to describe King's stuff. The world is scary and spectacular.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, he has a quote uh, talking about uh, ghosts are real and monsters are real and they live inside us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, yeah, the, the, the
1: best stories, and you find, you know, if you, if you, the best monster stories are when humans are the monsters. Because we're so capable of that. It's it's a yes. short, short walk for us to It's, it's In a way read. that's
0: almost um, a cheat. It is. It is.
1: But Twilight is almost famous for that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They would do the reverses.
0: But where it's where he where it works well when he does uh, does his monsters is that you can see the evil that man has done in the monsters that he does, uh, assuming that the monster has a personification. Not okay. all of them do. Uh, so, uh, like thinner, uh, it's not an Ollie Road as it, Richard Bachman. Because you know, he wrote a series of novels under a different name to see if they would sell. They did, not nearly as well as when they were under his own name, but they did sell. Right, Which is, you know, he was looking for validation of that. You know, are my books selling because I'm Stephen King or are they selling because I'm a good writer? So. Uh, but Thinner is a great example of the evil is, it isn't really a monster as so much as it is a curse is put upon this guy. And every time he eats, he's a big, heavy guy he gets thinner every time he eats instead of gaining weight right and um it's uh the curse actually the curse is put on this pie that he eats if i remember right and uh it's it's just really interesting to see that struggle with all that and you know obviously the bad guy is this this uh witch who put the the curse on the pie but um that's not the focus of it yeah, you know, really. He was the bad guy, mm, yeah. as well as the protagonist. He, yeah,
1: because he he meets his end yes. in some fashion. Yeah, it's know, because of his that. own hubris. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's actually a I don't know if he's I don't want to say he stole it, but there's actually a a, a Celtic legend called Han, uh, with Finn McCool that uh, about Hanreddy's hunger. That's very similar to that, where Curse is based on he eats himself to death the point where he eventually eats himself because he's eaten everything else he can get his hands on. Mm. So it's a similar type of anti-gluttony message, I suppose, is, is what it is. Cautionary tale, perhaps. Uh, uh, but King is famous for doing that. He's, he'll, he'll There will always be a moral, even though it's not explicitly stated. There will always be a
0: caution. There will always be something in this stuff. Well, and the thing I like is that, that goes hand in hand with that, is that, Almost every one of his protagonists, all of them, I would say, I couldn't say for sure every single one, but pretty much there's always a flawed protagonist, which either have a blind spot mm -hmm. or a vice or something that is part of what causes them problems. Which has ultimately become the
1: standard uh, explanation of how, how do you create a good protagonist. Yes, that's what they'll tell you. It needs to be that. Yes, if, if your you protagonist is perfect, nobody wants to read. Well, them. Well, that's exactly right. Or if they're completely unlikable, you know, then they're
0: you know nobody wants to read them. Ultimately, it's got to be that perfect yes. mixture. At the very least, your protagonist, even if they have the perfect life, whatever trouble you plop them in, they have to have no way to know how to get past it initially. Yeah.
1: Because, because of because of themselves yeah right
0: either because of their hubris or themselves or just because it's so yeah. far outside their norm that they're at a loss right. because if they're if they have a perfect life not to deal with everything there's no story there right yeah, yeah conflict is the, is the essential gasoline that drives the story yes. and the thing I like about I read about or heard him say in one of his interviews or talks is that a lot of his books just start out with what if this happened mm-hmm yeah, and I've heard that from a lot of folks that they'll
1: you know they'll say that that's how you create a novel or a story. It's you know what if this were this or were this this and you take that and run with it mm-hmm. and you sometimes you depend on how it's how it's conceived, you know you may end up in a place you didn't even expect or you may not. I mean St- King is pretty good about fleshing things out before they before he gets them on paper. Yeah, yeah. he's a pantser. Yeah, uh,
0: you know. but most of his pantsing is in his head. Am I right? Uh, pretty much. That's I mean, what I he you know, he may think it through, to have a general idea of you know this is what will happen if I do the what if, but as with anybody who's done any kind of writing will tell you, just because you think that's what's going to happen when you start writing doesn't mean that's what happens in the end. Yeah, and you, he likes to be surprised by the
1: ending, just like we are, right. the readers. And sometimes, if you develop your characters well enough they'll tell you where to go. Exactly. And that's, that's, he's very good he's at the character at development. development. Yeah, Because yes. if you can do that, then they'll, you'll figure out, oh, well, maybe it shouldn't be that, it should be this, which it may be five points or 20 points different from what you originally envisioned. That's just a process. Yes. And that's a, it's the magic, actually.
0: Yes. And I just want to say, um, one other, because you know, we could talk for hours on just the quality of his writing, but one of the things I want to point out about why, one of the other reasons I like him so much is something that Jerry Jenkins talks about. Mm -hmm. Jenkins talks about in your writing engaging the theater of your reader's mind. In other words, your readers have to have to have to be able to engage their own imagination during the reading. If you tell them everything, they'll be bored. So if you describe every action, if you describe what somebody looks like exactly, from the color of their hair to the texture, down to the type of shoes they're wearing. You have taken all the magic
2: out exactly of the right. reading
0: for the for You the want reader.
2: the you want the reader to be able to, in general, not specifically always, but in general, picture
0: themselves as the character. There is a great deal of truth to that. They Sometimes, have to be able to see it but not relatable. always, but they have to be able to see that person. They have, uh,
2: yeah. they have, it has to be somebody that real and relatable. Yeah, relatable. That it's like I can imagine this person in my experience.
1: Exactly. Well, that's true. That's exactly. i then
2: or try to keep in mind doing mine. Again, I'm a total amateur pantser and uh, 28,000 word putts so far with mine. But um, that's been top of mind as I go through is the character. I I need them to be somebody you can picture. Yeah. So I've left out a lot of, of, you know, I've, I've been very general with descriptions because what this person looks like isn't important. What they're doing is so. I want you to be able to picture that person as someone you have seen.
0: Well, and the the key to that, and I think King is really good, and, and because I don't have any of his books right in front of yeah. me to show you this, but yeah. you know the the best way to, to engage the reader's imagination, which King is so good at in general, is just and how you describe somebody doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's partially how the dialogue happens, but you know if somebody's cold, you don't say you know the the. Uh, sub-zero wind whipped through them, and the person felt chilled to their bones. You know, you, you talk more about you know they they uh, you know uh, tightened up their coat and yeah. shoved their hands in their pocket and leaned forward against the wind. Uh, yeah, right? that I mean, gives you a much right, better right.
2: When you talk about a character driving a car with an arm cocked out the window, that gives you a picture of the type of person that. Yes, that character is mm-hmm. way more than a physical description is going to. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you just want
1: just enough to differentiate them and give them some. I've always found one physical characteristic, maybe yes. that's what they're wearing, color of the hair is actually pretty good uh, because that that it depends needs, on the
0: needs. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, you need.
2: Uh, I gave one of my characters a description, basically of just the short beard. You know, because go. you get, that gives you a picture. And translates. That's right. What that personality is probably going to be like.
0: Well, and for your genre, you have the, uh, um, not the luck, but the luxury, shall we say, uh, because you're doing a pol- police procedural kind of a thing. You can talk because they are police officers doing certain kinds of work. We're going to have ideas of what that is in our heads. What that looks like, yeah. yes. Uh, so, you, don't so, you, know,
1: to,
2: you don't have to overlay that point. Yeah, yeah exactly. 60 years of TV, of, you know. Right. You know,
0: we're going to picture this guy's Barney
2: Miller. <laughs> well, tw- 20 plus years of Dick Wolf shows, you you know what a cop looks like.
0: Exactly. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, we know what a sheriff in a small town is going to look like. And, you know, we don't have to describe the layout of every, every single room unless it's germane to the store. These are the kind of things I love about. Now, King can go on, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so successful that he doesn't get edited like he used to. Same thing with J.K. Rowling. Yeah. First book in Harry Potter, it's an inch thick. Final book is like four inches thick. Mm-hmm. And partially that's because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a bigger story by the time you get there. Um, but it's also, because you know, when you get to a certain point of successful, they don't kick, you know. Yeah. It costs nearly as much to print the four-inch book as it does the one-inch book. Well, especially when you know they are going to sell every one that you print. Exactly. You know, that, you know, it's a
1: guaranteed sale. They don't mind.
0: Yeah, and they can charge more, too.
1: That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so, they've, uh, so there's a, there's the business side of that.
0: There is. Um, so I like King for the breadth of his, his stories, um, the humanity he gives his, his characters. And just... It, it's kind of like I like the post-apocalyptic novels. Mm-hmm. So I like to see how real people not the guy who just got out of the uh, the marines who's been a prepper and he's got, you know, 400 uh, pistols and, and 200 uh, long guns sitting in his back in his basement with all kinds of ammo and food. That's not realistic. And sure it helps the story in some ways because, you know, cuz let's face it in a post-apocalyptic situation, most people are going to get shot and killed pretty quickly or enslaved by some local warlord or whatever. But the author who, who takes real people and puts them in danger and figures out how to get them out of danger, that's a story. To me, that's that's a great story. Very good. Yeah. So, anyways, I've talked enough. Francis, let's turn this over to you, man. Oh, give me mean,
2: some.
1: Give me some of your your people that you like oh, to read. A fa- a favorite favorite uh, stuff that I've been reading lately. Well, <coughs> there's there, I mean I've got plenty of them. If we're talking fiction. The one I've been reading the most lately is Daniel Silva. Uh, he is uh, yes, you the author him. of the uh, Gabriel Allon uh, series. Uh, uh, he's an Israeli former assassin, although not so much former at times. He's their go-to guy, and uh, it's it's the same espionage thriller genre that I'm writing in. Which yes. is one of the reasons that I like him. And I would, if you ask me for a comps, which you know that's part of the process of writing. <laughs> Uh, my books are similar to his. Now, I, I, his are, his is more uh, smaller in scope of characters than, say, the Brad Thors or the uh, or the Vince Flins, because those are usually the uh, enormous. We're on the urge of, verge of nuclear war, or the the terrorists are going to nuke a city. So it's the right. high high concept type stuff. This well, is high much, stakes. High stakes, exactly. And, and, That's the and, well, word.
0: They should all have high stakes, but high stakes for. A larger
1: number of people. Right, yes. Yeah, so something a little bit more overt like that. Whereas the, Silva's works and mine as well are far more personal. Uh, it's more about the character, especially over time, that are going through this. And I think mm-hmm. that's, to me, that's I think that is a better... Nothing wrong with what they're doing. They, they sell gazillions, don't get me wrong. But to me, I think a reader really gets into, I love these characters so much, what they're going through. And the fact that they can't get past this, or well, this in their background is so over—you know—it so permeates them that it, it's it's part of their struggle. And when you get their struggles along with their struggle, internal struggles along with their external struggles uh, to save the world or whatever, ever how you come? You know, whatever the st- scope of the stakes are, uh, Silva does that extremely
0: well. Well, uh, modern authors, and by modern I mean uh, ones who have started writing well past when we started reading. You know. Yeah, Silva's uh, first mm-hmm. book was 2004, I think. Right, yeah. so you talk about authors in the last 20 to 25 years. Uh, half of our lives, you know, or adult mm-hmm. lives anyways, are from a time when TV and other media has shown us that, man... I really want to see what happens next to this character. That's it. And TV has allowed us, especially now with the proliferation of all the streaming services, you know, streaming services don't do movies very often. Not as often as they do series. Right. We want that longer form. We want that longer form. And sometimes, you know, uh, some of the longer form ones I've seen, it's like, what's the point of all these extra? You could have done this in half the time. Uh, But I understand why they do it. You know, it fleshes it out, make more money, whatever. Uh, Whereas King was writing when, even though there were series around, Mm -hmm. they were not the norm. That's correct, yeah. I think series now, that's the goal. I I, would say you're exactly right. Now, there were plenty of
1: series back in those days, but they were low-end stuff. Yeah, exactly. They 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 were were, the pulps. They were the pulps, exactly. They were the successors of the pulps, which essentially, from the Really, you know, you could if you want to talk the novels, you're talking 40s and 50s yeah. or the Genesis that runs all the way really through till about 1990. Very genre specific. Very genre specific. they were well, and most series still are. But right, but, it, but the, most of those were the cheap, you know, two dollar, two fifty paperback. Boy, series. are we showing our age there? That's right. Yeah, that's that's what that's what you could get. I mean, of course, in you know they were a dollar in 68, 69. You right. know. Uh, but you know, grocery stores and drugstores had walls of them.
0: Yes. Yeah, so that that was that's just... why when you go to Walmart and Kroger's, they still
1: have books there. It's a holdover. That's right, because that's that was a thing that was done during that time, and uh, you had whole companies that were churning these low cost. I don't want to say poorly written but many of them yeah but they were they sold you know and they, they, if it if sold they'd print more of them those series would be popular and if they didn't you know you'd retire and go on to something else and they, a lot of them were ghost written and uh, sci-fi was big in the 70s it kind of came of its own it was crime and then spies and all that sort of stuff And but by the time the 90s come along they, they, they don't want that cheap stuff anymore people Readers are a little bit smarter than that, and they want. that's why you get more sophisticated paperback series uh, that come along that take a year to write and that come out maybe once a year. That's where, we're, where we've come through yeah. now. Uh, another, another really good one that uh, you probably know about, which is very different in genre, is Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander mm-hmm. series. Uh, he started that in the 70s. But it But it was also started out as kind of a niche. Very niche. Yeah. Uh, but became a phenomenon because by the time he gets about eight or ten books into it, people are realizing, wow, this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you've, you've reached a certain level with the characters, because they're continued characters. Right. That it's not just about the sea action and all that's going on. Yeah. It's about those characters put within that universe. And I think that's where... Uh, the modern fiction series has come from. It's take these characters and have them run through different things, but over, but cumul- well, cumulatively, they grow as the series grows.
0: Exactly. It's like taking, to use one of your uh, uh, collected works uh, as an example, taking a Nick Carter series yeah. and making him a real person mm-hmm. instead of this archetype Cookie cutter, two dimensional. Right, that changes depending on who's writing it because those exactly. those
1: that series was ghost written. Mac Boland's another one. Yes, Matt uh, Boland. That was. It, the it, one, he's. But yeah. uh, now the original first thirty eight Bolands were written by one man, the creator Don Pendleton. And when you read those, you can see a definite progression because he's the keeper of the character and he makes it all. But you, you run out of steam eventually to the point where you can't continue this type of high ha- action. And still keeps surviving. So they retooled it. But after they did that, you know, you could put them out once a month, which was, you know, they always mm. sold. But there's no consistency, right? Yeah. I mean, some of them were excellent stories. Many of them were me. By that time, well, and
0: you know, when we get to the but point where they sold TV and there's so much, so many different forms of mass media, it's harder to do that sort of a thing. Uh, at a traditional publishing house. And
1: that's right, and a lot, that's why those niche publishers would do that. But they eventually went away, right? Because and people now, they want something more than that.
0: Yeah. I do believe that. Now there are still a lot of niche independent publishers out there, real publishers, sure. You know, not ones who charge you to print. Yeah, the vanity the book,
1: publishers, yeah.
0: But real publishers that are small. You're probably not going to make a whole lot of money as a writer starting out there, but at least you get your book published. And they will do a lot of niche stuff. Um, in, in that sense but even so those are rarely that dime store novel kind of a thing no they're not uh, uh, and
1: um, so where hit get get out and do another one right. later where you done. see
0: that now is what I was talking about earlier on that you know Kindle Unlimited right because uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that I see there now they don't go for you know dozens and dozens of books generally those are like five to seven or ten books and that series is done and you know sometimes it's well written sometimes it's not uh, but it just depends. Uh, so there's still a market for that, but it's just in a different place. Yeah, and some of that is
1: is determined on what's hot at the time. That's really that's the same way it was in the, in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Whatever is hot is what you know. That's why you, you got zombie stories everywhere. Yeah, it's getting to the point now where a traditional publisher doesn't do that. No, uh, yeah, the the, the, the zombie
0: books that I want to write, yeah. I will I will probably publish to Kindle, Kindle Unlimited when I write them because. And just not even bother sending them out because I just don't see a traditional publisher no, picking those up. Yeah, that's just... And nothing. that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but anyways, uh, any, any, anybody else or anything else you want to talk oh, about? Oh, well, I could talk forever. But well, I, I know. know. I <laughs> mean, but I mean, I spent like 20 minutes talking about mine and, you know, so... Uh, we would to give Martin the opportunity. Yes, all right. Well, let's take a bourbon break before we get to, to Martin. Right. Yes. So um, I have the wild turkey. Yes. I poured the same for me. Yes. And, uh, and this is the traditional wild turkey, the yes. 84 proof. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, yeah. You know, we've talked about wild turkey. Although, I think we talked about 101. Yeah.
1: Now, at my place, we had the 101. I have the traditional as well, but we I don't think we've even cracked yes. it.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we, we did. It. We had
2: some prior because that's why I got some. Right, okay. Like yours, so right. I got
1: some, and we've had it several times. Right, yes. yeah. But and the one on one was a little was around that same time, and we ended up we we, we polished off the one on one. It's gone. Yeah, we
0: went through the wild turkey pretty quickly. Right. It's, it's one of our favorites. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I was, mean, was, yeah, that and old for like we went from the uh, wild turkey to the old forester, uh, like pretty pretty quickly, pretty quickly
1: so. and discovered that you know those are two of our go
0: tos, two yeah. of our standards. And. Um, it's a twenty dollar bottle. Regular wild turkey is a twenty dollar bottle. And this is, a, this is a this is a really on. nice taste, you know. Yeah. It, it's, uh, again, we we're gravitating I find to similar profiles quite a bit. Yep. Yeah. And that is, you know, sweetness up front with a with a burn or a finish that's that, that is noticeable in the back. And to me every one of these today has been like that. Yeah. And it's, I like that.
2: It's we're we're not doing high rise
0: high rye mash bill. Most of the time. Right. Now, these are not as smooth as like a Basil Hayden or a Woodford, which is fine, because mm-hmm. they both have their place.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I, did, I, did, I don't think we ever tried to compare those. At least, I never did in my mind, because uh, I thought Wild Turkey is one of the smoothest, and uh, it's, got a, it's got a fruity taste, if I recall correctly. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it's... the 101. I don't
0: know that this one is terribly fruity, but... Well, it's the it, pear. you should get a
1: little pear and vanilla. Is what
2: they described. Yes, yes. And I was like, I said that was what impressed me initially. What was with the Wild pear? turkey yes. is like, oh wow, I actually taste what they're telling me I'm supposed to taste. Yes, because yes. I really do get this pear and vanilla taste, and it's it's super. It's I mean, it, I let my I think I let my ice
0: in. melt a little too much because I I missed the. There's a sweet spot.
2: Yes, there's a there's a spot where you get the max flavor. And yes, and our, once the
0: ice is melted, you've gone past that.
2: And I, I tried to keep it out there as long as we could because we went spherical ice cubes. Yes, which are fantastic. fantastic. I like the spherical ice cubes. I uh, I picked up my little spherical ice cube maker, a little four-spot maker for six bucks. Can't at, go wrong. At Liquor Barn, I just happened to be walking past, and they had them on one of those... Uh, we got call it? Clip? I'm not, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's just, it's not even a shelf. It's just hanging off of a shelf on clips. It's, of on clips. it's like, spherical ice maker. They're the
0: impulse buy clips is what I call them. Yes, yeah. and
2: it, it was definitely an impulse They got spy. you, that's right. Yeah. Yep. But it's, I mean, it's six bucks is like, awesome, we'll have spherical ice. I've been making spherical ice cubes all damn week.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to start in advance. You can't do this the night before. <laughs> no, yeah,
2: it's, it's only get four at a time, so... Uh, I think I, I got four more in the in the fridge and I made 12, so that turned out
0: to be plenty. Excellent, excellent. Fantastic. Yeah, you. good stuff all around. I mean, right. you know, we, we, we have had a good day of bourbon today. Uh, indeed we have. Yeah, sir. so we focus
2: on uh, Monk's Road and Wild Turkey, but we also worked in a little Buffalo Trace and a little Evan Williams 1783 small batch. I love it.
0: So, Martin. Wait, what, what was yours? Do you still doing the monks I'm not sure. Okay, monk's you're still the monk's okay. Yeah. you found what you like, and you're sticking uh, with it. Exactly and right. nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and and again, salute to the Dant family with the log steel distillery out in Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um Absolutely, it's a it's a winner. But look into. Better corks. <laughs>
0: yes, cannot stress that enough. <laughs> that's yes. right, because we yeah, that yes. never had that Because we are here at Studio M, here, uh, this uh, place. 30th floor in Octomy Plaza. Just down the hall from Ellis, behind the waterfall. Yep, that's
2: right. And, and if you have any questions about that, Dant family, please email us about your cork failure yes. at uh,
0: Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to, to help you figure out a better way to, uh, to do your corks. Yep. So, because it's it, great bourbon. Better corks, it needs all. better cork. It needs better cork. Yeah. That's it. So, so Martin, what about you? What, what's your writing taste go to right now? Uh, what are you reading? You know, you reading? and,
2: and I'm, I've kind of put aside fiction a great deal um, over the years to stick with nonfiction. Yes, I, you
0: are the nonfiction I, reader of the three of us. Yeah, oh, I yes. mean, as
2: I said, you know, sometimes the reality is way weirder than anything you could come up with in fiction especially when you start talking about things like the Crusades yeah. and how bizarro some of that turned out to be. But, uh, of course, currently I've, I've been reading a lot of Jeff Shara. I guess, you know, five or six of those. And, um, Shara's fairly satisfying, but I, can, I also find him sometimes like you said, like an info dump. Like, it doesn't make any sense to just dump a bunch of info on me. Give it to me
1: Still with your characters, it's hard his, to do that with yes. historical
0: topics. Yeah, yeah,
1: because especially in the Civil War, but for the others too, that's expected. They yeah. want to know that. The, contemporary those, those writing, readers want that in the yeah, backstory. Yeah.
0: And contemporary writing, I think, it's a lot easier because you're generally writing about things that are going on right now. Your references are much more shorthand.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and usually yeah. they're usually they're internal yes. to the story exclusively. Right, whereas this is is. Writing out Shara's works or writing on a historical canvas, yes, right. So, like, um, even
0: your first book said, you know, thirty years ago, yeah, you know, you had some info dumps in there, which you know the average reader is not going to know some of those things, but yeah. it ended up just being an info dump for for the sake of an info dump, mm-hmm. and rightly so, you know, it made your story better by not having that. That's right. we cut it out, yeah,
1: that's right. right, yeah, because the initial the initial initial draft versus the initial draft, draft. yeah, that's right, yeah. because
0: uh, as you grew as a writer, you realized. It doesn't add anything for the reader. The reader already knows has a general, even if it's a wrong idea, mm-hmm. but has an idea of what red what's Red Square in Moscow, what that is. Right. They don't need to know the exact details of everything. Everything for them to enjoy the story, and sometimes that just makes it better. Exactly, and some of that is as a writer too. And I have, and
1: the more I research this, the more I realize a lot of writers do it this way. They'll write long. And, right. le- and write all that expo- exposition in there, and then they'll cut it all out because that helps them keep, keep themselves in the story, in the, story Focus, in the yeah. pace, yeah. Yeah. realizing you can't get too far afield from this, yeah. Yeah. and then you yeah. just remove it in the editing process. Yeah.
2: And one of the charas that I like that I've read recently was um, The Frozen Hours, which focuses on the uh, Battle of Chosin Reservoir, uh, Korea, and um, I thought he did a tremendous job... With the characters, especially the generals, yeah, you know that's kind of the motif of, of the Shara stuff is yeah. you fictionalize some of the generals, but you also fictionalize the guy in the trench, right? And you yes. switch back the and forth. The Buster kill rain. Yes, yeah, uh, from his. So, uh, but I thought there was there was a some points in it where I would have been better if he had invented a little dialogue between officers to move through what he needed to describe rather than just a paragraph telling me what happened next. Yeah, that's so I thought a, that was a little bit of a weakness.
1: It, it, it's a pacing question, too. Yeah. Sometimes because it takes a lot longer to have a dialogue that explains than it does for a paragraph. So sometimes, you also have to be
0: careful with the dialogue because a lot of authors that are newer... Uh, or, and I see this sometimes on in the self published stuff uh, on uh, Amazon or Kindle Unlimited, is that they will do things like, well, as you know, we did this, this, and this. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like nobody talks like nobody that. Nobody knows like Yeah, that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, that You never do, ever, absolutely never, ever, and ever,
0: ever, ever. I see. And now, you know, before I started thinking about the process and the craft, I'm like, okay, whatever. But now I see it and it's just it's cringy.
1: Yeah, it is. It's very amateur to 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 do that to yeah. you because you're info dumping with, through dialogue, and it's just very clumsy.
0: And it's a clumsy. Yeah, yeah doing it that way is clumsy. That's correct. Yeah. I yeah. thought it just it broke up the flow, doing. and I thought with one or two more
2: sentences of dialogue, you could have done it and moved me to the next piece without this paragraph of can I, can I the Marines did this, and then the, you know. But it still wasn't bad. Um, and then it go sometimes it's not necessary. After you all. know, the I thought he was a little <laughs> too ambitious with the one he did on the first World War. He tried to have too many things
1: well, by because God, he that's tried like the, the the most enormously complex yeah, uh, he, canvas that he could. He tried the air war, so he's
2: he's doing Lafayette Escadrille, uh, Richthofen's flying surface circus, circus, while at the same time also doing an infantry story. And it's just it was just too scattered. Yeah. It's like this would have been really neat. He's trying
1: to make it bigger. Yeah, he's he's trying, trying to this show out. The, the, the scope.
2: Do, do one novel just
0: on the air war, and do this back and forth. Yeah, it was much better with that sort of thing in the Civil War because he didn't have the air war, but there's yeah. still facets of the war that were separate. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can aside. break it down, you know, by battles in case. In yeah. So many yes. Cases
1: in
2: the yeah. Civil War. But it's easier I, I just because thought is his, his uh, first battles. world war one. Was just too broad. Uh, again, the characters were outstanding. Uh, yes, he's very good that. at the characters. But uh, mm-hmm. this was like, well, this was just too ambitious. S- make this two books: one with the air war, one with the infantry and the marines and stuff like that. It Was really good. Um, they, so that's my
0: latest thing is is Shara, Jeff Shara stuff. But um, he's another one you can see the growth in as a as an author. You know, he yes. obviously was not his. His original calling. I mean, he was running. Call it uh, what he. He it was described in one of his uh, about the author. You know mm-hmm. about being in numismatics, it, which probably means he ran a pawn shop that that dealt in coins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but then he took over writing the the Civil War stuff after his dad died. Yeah, and, and yeah. the publisher pursued him to
1: you know do this. <clears throat> he didn't
0: want to. Right. And realized
1: after when they produced Gods and Generals, hey, wait a minute, he's got a talent for this. He's he got, does. He's, he's I thought Gods and Generals son.
0: was extremely well written. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of that, because as a reader, you just felt like you were in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Is when Chamberlain's Corps comes up over the hill and he thinks he's discovered a regiment of Lee's army that has just been left behind or something. And then he realizes, my God, that is Lee's army. Yeah. That's all that's left. That's the whole thing. Yeah. That, um, wasn't,
1: that wasn't in Gods and Generals. That was. No, that last, wasn't Gods and Generals. It should have been Last Full Measure because that's the end of the No, war. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, Last
0: Full Measure. Sorry, right, Last yeah. Full Measure. Yes, right. sorry. yes, exactly. You're right. My mistake. Yes. Oh, yes. that's right because Gods, God's General and Generals is. is first one.
1: Yeah, it goes, yes. It's essentially Stonewall Jackson's
2: story. Yeah, it's it's prequel yeah. to what his father. It's right. Gainsburg is angels. kind of like
1: the hinge on which both the other two books yes. rest. Yes. And yes. Last Full Measure takes it after that. It's essentially U.S. Grant's story, right? Uh, yes. So, and the other yes. one is essentially Stonewall Jackson's. So, yeah.
2: so Char is one. Uh, you mentioned Brad Thor. Uh, yeah. You know, I've read a bunch of his stuff, and which is very entertaining. Um, Brad Thor's is he's kind of one of those. Is like a candy bar. It's entertaining, but doesn't stay with you right but uh, but uh, I mean he, he's,
1: he's doing about one a year I think it he is. is, and, and he, he publishes s- in the he, summer and he, he sells super well super successful I mean, and, and I, I, he's I, I lean into a little bit of his of his way of doing things yeah. in writing yeah. because our genres are very similar yeah. just, he just he likes the large scope stories and I like the smaller scope yeah. it's more personal uh, and of course he's, he's, he's I like him as a personality
2: too because he's not He's not antagonistic to other people in the genre. Yeah. You know, he. from what I've read about him, he he's, he's a very gracious guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Vince Flynn. Right. Uh, who I believe recently passed away, right? And a then, few years ago, yeah. Yeah, and uh-huh. then kind of, so people, you know, the, in that genre kind of appreciated him and, and say nice things. Um, so that's, you know, that genre is cool. And then we've talked a little bit about some older stuff that I always like. Oh, pardon me, guys. Um, I'm a fan of Carl Hyacinth's first few books, two or three books. I don't know that name. He uh, he uh, was a reporter in Florida. Mm-hmm. And during the 80s, began writing some of these kind of uh, semi-comedic, kind of dark comedy um, Florida crime novels.
0: Okay.
2: And at least one's been made into a film, the Demi Moore striptease. Oh, okay. I,
0: okay, that's yeah. from a Carl
2: hyacin book. But Really? He's, okay. He had like his uh, his second book is called Double Whammy and it's about um, people cheating in bass tournaments. Huh. You know, at one time the, the bass fishing, the pro bass oh, fishing. Yes. Maverick but, was big into that. You it was, yeah. was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, well, I mean, somebody recently, like, got arrested over filling uh, caught fish with lead weights in a tournament. And uh, so this was, he, you know, kind of turned it into a murder mystery in the backwoods of Florida. And it's, he likes to do what uh, it's called red herrings, where he'll give uh, elaborate backstories to a character who then just gets killed.
1: Well, that's yeah, and that's, and that's pretty, common. And that genre has got a lot of that. It's very good. And I'll tell you another master of that that I, I meant to mention before. I don't want don't want to hijack you, but I do want to mention John D. McDonald is is like the yes, that's the master. Travis
2: Travis McGee stuff. Correct. And very much in that same vein, uh, uh-huh. Carl Hyson. Uh and of course uh, Greg McDonald with the Fletch series. Right, yeah. Love, Love Fletch from the 70s. He he owes a
1: little, both of those guys owe a little bit to McDonald's who was a little bit earlier than that but it was that, that that edgy, uh, beach bum that McGee was which he wrote, McDonald wrote many others before that but that's, when he started those he kind of stuck with it and it's, it's, it's a murder mystery, but maybe not. It's a it's another mystery, but it's maybe not. It's uh, it's it's, it's amateur
2: know, detective, so it's absolutely it's in that it's it in that kind of Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie, but, but without being vein. So, so so tightly
1: defined. It's a yeah. broad yeah. way of working. You know, Fletch worked
2: for a newspaper, and Carl hyacin sometimes has characters that are. Private investigators, yeah, which but is, he worked for a newspaper. He was a journalist and worked for a newspaper, and then went into novel writing. So, um, you know, and, and again, Florida becomes a
1: very much a character in the stories. It's, that it's yeah, that sounds about a whole lot like Michael Connelly, which I didn't get to mention either, with the, the author of the Bosch series, uh, among yes. many others, and L.A. is essentially a character yeah, in this. Yes. But it's the same type of story that you're talking about, brought forward into the more modern times. Yeah. 'Cause it is it is police procedural sort of, it's crime solving fiction sort of, but it's also a bit deeper than that. And of course Bosch eventually becomes a private eye and you've got other things that that yeah. that, that, that that taking that space in many respects I think it's like taking film noir which we talked about, using that noirish thing and yeah. moving it forward in time and focusing it a little bit differently, but it's still got that, that angst to it. Yeah. That mm-hmm. uh, that flavor to it that's yeah. you know, that's different. Yeah. Uh that uh that people just yeah. eat up.
2: And Fletch is <clears throat> the Fletch series is very much a a document of its time. You know, yes. Those were written in the seventies. So it's it's kind of a you know, a post counterculture misfit sort of character. I'm surprised um, you
0: didn't mention uh, as an author, uh oh shoot, I'm blanking on the name. It's the guy who wrote the uh, the book's behind Justified. Oh,
2: that's Elmore Leonard stuff, Elmore right? Leonard. Yeah, well, that's you, who I was going to go to next. Oh, okay, that's, okay. that's your, that's your yes. guy that you, that you, yes, you like that, the best. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't read Elmore Leonard super extensively, but I have read several. Um, and, and yes, it's very much that same kind of misfits, cops, bail bondsmen. I mean, like Jackie Brown. Is, is based on an Elmore Leonard uh novel called Rum Punch. Uh, that, you know, the cops are just kind of the peripheral guys almost one dimensional. Yeah. And uh, because you see so little of them. Um so yeah, Elmore Leonard's pretty influential for me. And I'm you know that's King that's kind mentioned... of where I'm aiming. Yeah. I am I'm, I'm I'm sure I will fall short. Right. But uh I kinda of
0: aiming at that Keep practicing. Idea. Keep practicing. Uh, King is a big fan of Elmore Leonard. I've heard. I've heard him mention him. Uh, several and of months. McDonald too. Yes, he, yes. Yeah. They.
1: They. He's spoken of both yeah. of those guys as as like the kings <clears throat> of no pun intended uh, of the of the craft. And they were all. And they were both yes. well recognized yeah. as delivering yeah. solid fiction all, time and time again yeah. Over, yeah. over over years. And, and Elmore decades. Leonard varied. Uh, you know, he did westerns. He did sure. uh, the the the. Cops and robbers type stuff. Yeah, uh, McDonald did some of those prior the, to when yeah. McGee really took off. He stuck with it, but before that, he was writing all sorts of stuff in the fifties. Yeah, uh, and, and Leonard's career goes back that
2: far too. Yeah, um, but it, I mean, he he kept writing well into the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, now somebody 86. else that I I need to read and have not that bears on what I want to do is James Ellroy. Um, you know, L.A. Confidential, the film, is based on one of his novels. Right. And L.A. Confidential is, to me, that's one of the, the greatest films of the last 30 years. Um, you know, it's up there, to me, with, like, Heat, you know, Michael Mann, and, and, and Thomas Harris and his stuff. So, and Thomas Harris is another one. I've, I've read a few of his that are really, really good. You know, of course, that's Hannibal Lecter and, and uh, Silence of the Lambs and all that right. is, is Thomas Harrison. He's awesome, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I need to read
1: some some uh, James Elroy. And, uh, well, if you're asking us to continue what else we still have yet to read, that's uh, a long, <laughs> oh, yeah, long yeah, list. Yeah, that's a
0: long list. Uh, I'm going to throw one out that um, <clears throat> uh, I haven't read, if he's published any news since I went through the series, but uh, uh, it's another Connolly, but it's not uh, Michael Connelly. Yeah. John Connolly, and I found him on Scribd on, yeah. on their app. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Similar thing to Kindle Unlimited, one price for the month, and uh, you read whatever's in their uh, in their app. And actually, King's stuff ends up there a lot. Yeah, because you know, uh-huh. it's uh, his publisher, and uh, it does most of that. And um, uh, Connolly's book, uh, the first one, started out kind of a. Uh, Crime novel around uh, this, this ex cop who was, uh, uh, ends up tracking down the serial killer who was the killer of his wife and child. Ah. Uh, and <clears throat> you know, he's left the force. He's a private detective now because that's basically all he can do. And uh, just it was a great story the way it was crafted. Yeah. And so led me to read the, the rest of the books. But one of the things I want to point out about all the authors that, that we're talking about, for the most part, uh, the ones we are currently reading, you know, uh, talking about uh, the, either the, the, the series that uh, we're reading or the one-offs or whatever. Character is king. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, That's there great. is a time and a place for the pure procedural, uh, whether it be movies or TV shows or whatever. All TV shows work better for the pure per- procedural. My wife loves that stuff. Like she watched all of Bosch, she loved those. See, told you. Now she watched. She didn't read. She watched. Yeah, that's But
1: it doesn't matter. It Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's, it's uh, Titus Welliver is absolutely amazing. He yes. absolutely amazing. He is. Yeah. Uh, Very good actor. Yeah. Then,
0: uh, uh, you know, she she watches a lot of the true true crime kind of stuff. So if she were to read books more, it's probably the kind of stuff she would read. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, for the stuff that we are more interested in, is the character driven stuff. You know, the uh, the early. Mac Bolin and, and, and Nick Carter, that's not character-driven not so much. No. It, it's it's event-driven, which is fine. There's a time and a place. Yeah, it, in a, in a, it was a formula. They were yeah.
1: formula. And some of them were very formulaic. Yes. Uh, the well, better and, ones worked with it well. And some of those authors, those that, that weren't usually even named, they did turn in some damn good
0: stories. Yeah. well, you Most know, of them weren't, but some of them were. One of, you know, one of Martin's, uh, Jeff Shara, I love Shara's books, but they're very formulaic. Sure, absolutely. But he's found a formula that he can be creative in.
1: That's right, yeah. It's not, it's and, doesn't, it doesn't bore you.
0: Right. And hopping from character to character, he's probably one of the, the first uh, uh, authors that I read where that was so in your face. Mm-hmm. Because his chapter breaks are character breaks, POV breaks. Yes. And you know, a lot of the books that I've read don't have, uh, uh, prior to really getting into that, and, and, and now it's become so much pop- so popular. So many authors do multiple POV books, which is fine. You shouldn't do too many. Right. Uh, some authors prefer, you know, a single POV character. I don't care for that as much, uh, just because uh, I like to see what else is going on. Yeah, it's it's limiting. Uh, a lot, a lot no, of. I, I don't are... like that. I don't like to to, to talk about things like that because I think you can be creative within any limitation. You can. Um, but I just prefer personally both to read and to write to see some of the other stuff going on because. I want to see the stuff that this character is going through, not just through his eyes, but also know what's coming. It, to a degree. A lot of young adult
1: fiction that. is written through one POV character. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, it's just, it keeps the scope far more narrow than, to me than is interesting. I, that's just, I think one POV is just, it's, yeah. it's, 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 the, it, by definition, the scope is, is narrow.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more first-person narrative books, and obviously that is always going to be single POV. Yeah, exactly. Now, although I have if seen it's a book. Done right, yeah. Sometimes well, I have seen a couple of books by one author. It was a series. And they did first person, but they had multiple first person POVs. So they would jump from one person's point of view, but told in the first person. That's very jarring. It is
1: the traditional way is what George Mar- George R. R. Martin has done. You know, uh, he'll have one chapter and it's one POV character. In fact, he even titles them with the name. Right. And it's but it's third never person. Persons, third right. person. That's correct. That's the way to do it. for the, me. exactly. That's and that and you can do that. I mean, that's my way. My books are written. They're third right. third person perspective. And they'll switch POVs by
0: by scene, not necessarily by chapter. Right. Well, nowadays most scenes and chapters are synonymous. Yeah. Sometimes. No, in, I. In, I, mean, I mean, if you look most at most in books, mine,
1: it doesn't work that way because the scenes are just too brief. I mean, could I suppose? But that's, that's just works. it. A lot I mean, of books are that? that way now. Well, well, the scenes, I, 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 my my chapters are around thirty chapters. If I wanted to go ninety, because I usually got about three scenes per book. Sure, I mean, lots of folks write that way. Uh, I mean, that's just because uh, Robert is famous for that. I mean, he wrote, he wrote several uh, fiction books. Uh, still does write on men. He, his some of his are his chapters sometimes are paragraph.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just, it, that's the thing He's It's no, just a is. style,
1: yeah. yeah. He was doing that back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, the yeah. tail end of, uh, uh, that, I'm kind of doing that with mine, is just a scene's a scene, and however long it is is however long well, it that's is. Well, like, ultimately, that's the on. building
1: block. King always said it was the paragraph, but I believe the building block of a novel is the scene. It's truly the scene. Yeah. Uh, and you have to know how to start, where to start it, where to end it, and all that. And yeah, what I mean, to if finish. you want to get really
0: technical, you could always you can go down to the sentence as the building block. You know, sure. So it's whatever you choose, but yes, the scene itself has to be a coherent whole. Yeah. Uh, you know,
1: and like, that's what so many people authors don't yeah. get. They they get the prose, they get the paragraphs, they get the sentence, they get the chapters, but they miss the scene, and the scene is where the action happens.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you know the talking about the short. Uh, uh, scenes where they're you know a paragraph or two in the uh, uh, climax of uh, my first book, where the final confrontation is going on. Mm-hmm. I switch POVs multiple times within that final conflict uh, because even though they're because they're all fighting the same entity, sure. and uh, it <clears throat> sometimes they're very short. like I think the shortest chapter is something like 800 words. Mm-hmm. Which is very, very—it's barely a page. Well, sure, yeah, and, and uh, it, it works really well,
1: especially if you want—if you want to build that tension. Well, or if you have got like a battle scene, I mean, uh, a lot
0: of these guys are famous for. It's that. the action, is what it does. Well, that's it right. Keeps you moving really Well, quickly. That's correct. I've got really gets a sense of of danger going because you're—you know—you can stay in the middle of all the action. Uh, Yeah,
1: you're whirling from person to person. Well, that's and that's you you remember in my first book, that's got uh, there's a scene at the at the farmhouse where it's the bad guy, her, him moving all around, and it's like seven scenes in one, but a couple of them are just two paragraphs, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it really heightens the speed of what's going on
0: because you're in a crisis and people are shooting at people, and now what's going to happen? And I tell you what. It, when you can, if you can get to the point where you can write those, because I was really pleased with the way those came out, mm-hmm. uh, and I was really not only just pleased but surprised because writing shorter is harder than writing long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget who said it, but somebody said, "You know, pardon the long letter that I wrote you, that I'm writing, or I've written you whatever. I didn't have time to write a short one." Twain, was hard, twain. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. I thought that was sure, but that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to write long it's harder to to write short because you've got to figure out what to leave out. That's right. And that's ultimately...
1: And some of that's done in editing, of course. Yes. But, Stephen King says,
0: you write your first draft and immediately you cut 10% minimum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to me, it's a minimum, but, you know, but I tend to be verbose. My first draft was very long, but lots of reasons for that. Well, mine was too. I mean,
1: for my first book, my original draft was 124,000 words, which is a god-awful blow. Mine was one hundred and fifty. Yeah, and but my and my final draft is right at eighty. Now, with I didn't get there all at once. It was like no. several drafts through that, where you you, you you rarely went up in your word count between oh, I never drafts. Did. Yeah, exactly. And I think you did exactly. Well, uh, I probably. would add a few pieces here and there, uh, yeah. or and I, or I'd expand something here and there. But as a general rule, it never made up for what I.
0: No, but you on. went from you know uh, ninety one back up to ninety three, and stuff like that. On a, a couple occasions, because I saw several of your drafts, right, and, and so it was and part of that was you realized, oh, I should be doing
1: this. Yes, and that's that's a it's a developmental change that forces the word count change. Yes, and that's, that's and sometimes just,
0: usually it's more of a cutting. Work,
1: is that's what correct, the, but sometimes so That's to the add process, stuff. you know. And if we were perfect at it, you know, we, you know, you the, the second book I was able to write. My first draft was eighty six thousand words. That's pretty damn close to what I wanted. I'm editing it now. It's going to be about 82, you know. It becomes kind of instinctual. Exactly. The more you do it, you realize, I don't make those same mistakes. Exactly. Make different ones. <laughs> but, right. Or, yeah,
0: unlike sins, you want to make different mistakes in your writings, you, you know. Yeah. was uh, a great story uh, uh, reading um, Scott Hines, his book about uh, confession and forgiveness, and he was complaining to his wife, telling a story about how he was complaining to his wife about, you know, he keeps confessing the same sins over and over in, in confession. And so I says, well, Scott, do you want to have new sins to, to confess? I'm like, really? Oh, well, no, I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> I guess it's better to stick with these than to <laughs> add new ones. <laughs> that's right.
2: But it, uh, yeah. I, I, the writing is different. I find I have learned a lot from your all's discussions and what, it's kind of not fair. Like I didn't, I'm not stumbling through the same way that you guys are. Because no, we just
0: stumble through different things. Yeah, that's right. So exactly. I kind of. Well, no, I I'm mean, feeling
2: like mine is already fairly spare anyway like it's it's already pretty lean so but i'm well, I'm sure times, there'll be some more stuff to cut but i'm I'm trying to incorporate a couple of ideas too of sort of doing those red herrings and sort of there's some of that talking, let you, you have you a little bit of backstory so that you know you know
1: why maybe somebody meets the fake they're gonna meet yeah you'll you'll find that as as much as you're able to do that while you're writing it it comes it's nothing to compare to what you'll do after you've gotten the first draft because you know where it all goes and you realize oh crap i need to lay down more if my if my yeah. i'm going to have the punch at the end i want there's got to be some more references to that or you know this thre- this this piece here. I never really used that. Cut that out of there. That's just it's it's. I didn't I didn't yeah. go there. Yeah, and yep. it, it's just out of the way. It just it just messes with things. And yeah. some
0: authors, you know, you see in discussions online, some authors write long and cut. Other authors write short and have to add in the editing process. There's a few, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, you may find oh well, you know, that's probably the harder one. If you get to the end of the story and you're short.
0: Yeah, if you're only like fifty thousand words, that's too short. Yeah, I mean, you
1: you got to hit is what you got to hit that's what they want for a novel it, yep. it should be it should be damn close you can you can go
0: you really can't go under it you can go 10,000 over you can get to 90 you can, you can even hit a hundred but don't go over a hundred yeah 90 I think is just the sweet spot because it gives them room to, to cut stuff and you have you know because yeah. Yeah. your publishers probably going to want to cut stuff make changes well and you, you got to leave room for that now you're
1: and you're saying something when you turn to a publisher when you turn in a 110 hundred thousand 100,000. they're saying you didn't edit this bad boy. Yeah, if you cut in and turn in one that's eighty-five. Now it depends 80, on your genre. genre. Fantasy, genre, fantasy
0: okay. tends to allow a longer word count. Absolutely, yeah, that's exactly. Or science fiction yeah, well, as well. Yeah, you're, because you're you building a out a little yes. bit more of a world. Yes, that's exactly. Because exactly. you have that's, to that's, do that's... a little bit more
2: explaining. Um, right. There's. there's... I, I'm trying to also maybe send the reader down a few rabbit holes where maybe they don't know where this is ending up.
0: Well, and I think that's good in that type of book because yeah. if. if if you, if you come across a book where you know where it's going from the very beginning, what's the point in reading it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, you want to make
1: sure that those rabbit holes aren't uh, something that uh, infuriates them. You know, where it's something like, oh, you mean this really meant nothing? I just wasted my time. You want you want them to be, this is not the main story, but it might lead to the main story. Or there's a connection Let's just,
2: back to it's the just main Yeah, it's just like a hint where you go, oh, I bet I know... And then it turns out, nope, that wasn't it after all. Right, but the journey that you spent
1: going down yeah. the rabbit hole went somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> great it's example like, of oh, that. Nope, that's
2: the wrong place. Gotta come back this way. Oh yeah. nope, that's the wrong place. Gotta come back yeah. this great way. Great example. But you of that. learned something
1: along
0: the way that made the journey later easier. Great example of that. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> you get as you may have heard. Uh, as far as writing goes, now it got to be too formulaic, and it was a joke uh, after a while. But House. Yeah they would go down all of these rabbit holes and you know they had the three or four potential diseases they would always say oh well it could be this this or this (laughs) it's like well hell if they're if all those diseases are that similar then they should be a lot you know pretty easy to treat because but you know yeah but i mean it almost got to be kind of uh, kind of a joke with with watchers of the show that uh, you know they were always going to go through x y and z before they figured out what it really was well, yeah, and uh,
1: the, that's that's a danger in some of that similar genre. Uh, a lot of the uh, the mystery shows, Elementary is a good example, although it's actually better done than most. Where you're going to meet the killer in the early portion of yeah. of the show, you just don't know it that he's the killer yet. The or she—it's well, like an Agatha
0: Christie, in that that's
1: sense. right. Yeah, it's right, and that's and that's what they're kind of playing off of. But by the end, when they finally find who did it, it's somebody you've already met. It's never somebody that they pull out of the air. Scooby Doo. Well That's right, exactly. They're the the the, the, the yeah, Scooby Doo
0: is—you've always met the villain, you, you know. Yeah,
1: always. That's right. And unfortunately, it gets to the point after a while where, as you meet characters, you realize, well, it's got to be the villain. You know, we know we're going to get to meet the villain. You know, it's got to be this one. The smart ones is when they make it, it's not, but they're bad already, but that's not what we're talking about yeah. here. Sometimes, and if you can keep you guessing on that, then it's worth watching. Uh, a lot of those shows yeah. run out of steam over time. Uh, if But if you have great characters and great actors like Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu in Elementary, for example, and Aiden Quinn, dang, you keep watching them because they're worth watching. Johnny Lee Miller is just amazing as an actor. So, you sit and watch him play this Sherlock Holmes character. And it works.
0: And even if the show is, you know, it ran seven seasons. That's not bad. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, again, you have interesting characters. Even though these characters, I, even though I've not seen the show, I've always wanted to watch it just because. Your wife would love it. I'm sure she would. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of show that, you know, looks interesting to me, but just never found the time to invest in right. all of that. Because then watch it from the beginning. We're actually It's on Hulu now, and we're yes. watching
1: it from the beginning. Because ah, we watch it hit or miss, but we've gone back through it and watching it. And along see, the way. being
0: able to watch watch it hit or miss, that's uh, one of those things that, um, in a way, can be the death of a show. Uh-huh. Because you cannot... It, the shows are bottle episodes. That's right, by definition. Yep. So everything for the main characters have, has to return to the status quo, for the most part. You can have some change, but they still have to be pretty much the same. They got better with that they were Elementary was very good
1: at making sure you never knew exactly how that was gonna land because mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes there is a drug addict, which that's very consistent with, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, what Conan Dole had written. And he's in recovery. So things around that keep him a little unpredictable and then you got all these other dynamics and sometimes they don't land back exactly where they were. Now mm-hmm. eventually they find their way back. But it may right. be three episodes of an arc that well maybe this didn't work I mean at one point he's accused of murder at the end of one season and he has to go to London and he doesn't come back right away so you know, yeah that's
0: this. trying to introduce some long form storytelling and, and
1: when they did that the, the, the series was made the better for it yes and they didn't lose the procedural crime of the week yeah at, at that's hard way. to do well, so that's, that's good. they had good yeah. writers they yeah. were able to make it work Um, That's why they lasted that long.
2: Sounds very similar to
1: Bones. Yes, that's the one I was trying to think of. Bones is another one. That's right. My daughters are still obsessed with that one. Yeah.
2: That was one that started off really, really good and unfortunately I think stayed on too long. Ran out of steam. Sooner or later you do.
0: Which was the one that had Nathan Fillion? Uh, uh, Castle, Castle, that's Castle the was the same way too. Similar thing. That's yes. right. You, you've got the uh, again another one I didn't watch, but would have liked. Uh, to. I've watched a little bit of my, it. Uh, it uh, my middle good. daughter
1: loves Castle, and my older daughter loves Bones, and for the same type of reason. But you get invested in these characters week to week, and if they grow just a little bit from
0: season to season, well, that's you the can thing. make it work. It's not the storyline behind. That's that. right. It's you've started with a couple of interesting characters, like even the house is the same thing. The, the plot of each show, yep. the content was the same thing, but you saw changes in the characters. That's right. Now House became more of an ass than he was in the beginning. If that such thing was possible, if, yeah, but apparently it was.
1: Hugh Laurie's an excellent actor. He is not like Absolutely. that in real life. No, so, no, yeah,
0: he's a very good guy. Uh, but uh, it, it's like in sitcoms. What made the the things like Cheers or Frasier? Let's go to Frasier. Yeah, Frasier. even longer. You know, it's a sitcom, so for the most part, the show's not going to have a whole lot of change, right? Mm-hmm. But you still saw development in the characters and their relationships. Mm-hmm. And those kind of shows, the relationships are what people watch. Mm-hmm. That's why they watch. Well, that's right. I mean, it's partially the, the creativity of what goes on around them, but because you know the relationship stuff gets boring if that's all it is. That's a soap opera. True,
1: true. You're exactly yeah. right with all that.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, there's there's sometimes when you can take that stuff and interject a little too much into it yes yeah can. there's there's you're trying to in, inject a little too much danger and kind of i don't want to say fake but sort of contrived strain in the relationships and she was like, look, that just wouldn't
1: happen. And well, that's where, and that's, so well, that's where gonna, you've got to write this well. You've got yeah. to write it well. So and some of your, some of your uh, conflicts come from external sources. Some of them come from internal. And they need to be balanced and, uh, and, yeah. and believable. And not too contrived. That's and right. Because yeah, you, to... uh, you cannot break a relationship completely without knowing it's got to be put back together. Yeah. And sometimes it was done poorly, and sometimes it was done well. Yeah. And
2: yeah. there's just kind of, to me, there's just sort of a, no matter how good a show is, it, it once you hit three or four seasons, you've kind of hit a peak for me. And so it's really hard to carry anything past that. There's very few for me. Big Bang, I think, carried it past that. But very few other shows really... You know, it just feels like, okay, you've done everything now. <laughs> you know, you've done everything there is to
0: do with this concept, and just there's nothing left. Yeah, well, even Big Bang, though, they did everything they could do with the inept nerds living next door to the, the beautiful actress. Yeah. And the show in the middle, and definitely at the end, was very different than the show that started Well, yeah, yes, they had to like, let the characters grow
1: and add, add in additional relationships yes. and bring those into the mix in order to make it work. Otherwise, yeah. you, otherwise, the number of seasons they had was completely... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some and say, I think some that's some maybe say it stayed a little too long anyway. Yeah,
2: I mean, maybe that's what some shows don't do is they're already at this kind of large ensemble and they don't ever bring anybody else new <clears> other <throat> than you know, replace this one with that one. But... Yeah, Big Bang really changed the dynamic because they didn't replace; they added, correct. They whereas, made it
1: much bigger scope. Whereas you, uh, Mash was able to sustain themselves ironically by replacing characters and yeah. give you a new, fresh, you know, cup, uh, shot in the arm of something a little different. And by the time the eleven seasons were over, yeah, they had done about everything they needed to do, yeah, and that was about right, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, the, and I just
2: I think Bones was one of those um, that just it sort of. They did a few character replacements, and it just kept going and going and going and going, and it's just like, okay, you've done everything there is to do here. You've done too much. And yet Let's NCIS
1: is still running at, you know, how many seasons now? Coming up on 20. Yeah. Coming up on 20. Yeah. yeah. That's well, right. Well, and
0: oddly enough, they're another one that has done the replace the characters. Right. Because some characters, they have outgrown what their characters are doing on the show. Yeah. It makes sense for them to go. Yeah, you got to move it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that in those long-running shows that, uh, you know, on the one hand, you can say, well, they replace them because they have moved on to other things. A lot of times, no, the actors just got tired of it or whatever. Sure. It's a, it's a fake replacement in, in that sense. There's, not, yeah, there's yeah. no reason other than we need to replace the actor. Or they got a drinking problem on set and we, we can't just deal with that crap anymore. But, you know, sometimes that saves shows. It can. It, it, it can. It
1: can actually make them better. I mean, uh, it, whereas before you can get into a rut... Have an actor leave, bring in somebody else. <coughs> sometimes it doesn't work; depends on the actor. But sometimes it's a it's a great shot. I mean, Larry Linville was fantastic as Frank Burns in Mash, and and when he left, I said, "Well, really, what can we do?" They bring in uh, Dave Ogden Styres as Charles Emmons Winchester. Totally different, totally different, and yet he's still this little bit of a foil. <coughs> he's not a fool. He's not a dunce like like uh, Frank right. Burns was. Right. And it really deepened the show. Yeah, uh, they were able to do that in, in just. They just did it right.
2: Yeah. Well, that took us from novels into television, but it's still writing. Good stories. Good stories. Good stories. That's
0: right. Good stories. Still writing. Yeah.
2: So, um, where does that leave us, guys? Uh, uh,
0: any, with any, lots of stuff to read and watch. Yeah. No, you're exactly right on that. Uh, but that's those. okay. You know, I, I don't know that I want to die having read everything I <coughs> want to read. It'd be nice, but on the other hand.
2: That's very quotable. That's very Mark Twain of you. I want to die leaving some stuff still to be read. And written, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So.
0: Anyways. Go for. Oh, all right. Because you usually ask. So.
2: Okay. Well, I, I didn't want to usurp all the captain over here. That's you know. all right. So, Francis, buddy, what is next
1: time? Well, you know, we're still in our American Revolution phase here, so we're going to go back to that. And we're going to talk a lot, you know, it's hard to put all this into even a few bottles like we're trying to do. We're going to get into the war itself a little bit more, and even that is enormous. We're going to try and come at it from the perspective of something we mentioned in the last episode, audacity. That is one of the great American characteristics as we've identified, and that's the fingerprints of that are in the, some of those great moments of the American Revolution, and we're gonna talk about several of them next time around, so make sure you're here.
2: Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes drop every second and fourth Friday at
0: 6 a.m. Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a review. That helps others find us.
1: We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandhonors.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next time.